Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides of both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. Well, I suppose back from a Christmas break, um, there's only the two of us here this evening, so we have uh, Tom and myself. Uh, yeah. Jeff is uh, poorly this evening. so uh, too, too, too many celebrations. I said to him, you saw on the WhatsApp group, don't be eating all of those little mini Milky Ways. They're not good for you. But he did, did you think he would listen? Two, he said, two tins of heroes and then moved on to the celebrations. It was always going to kill him. He said, and like he was very fevered when he said this, when do you ever see big Milky Ways anymore? And then just kept eating all the little mini Milky Ways. And then Mars bars that are kind of like the kind of the adult kind of sexier Milky Ways. Um, he's in a bad way. He's not feeling very it's, well. It's the tiny double deckers that don't seem right in those tubs. Yeah, they just don't taste right. No, and I, I, like thing is with the the Mars bars. Have you noticed that there's a difference with sort of the celebration Mars bars, the fun size Mars bars, and then the sort of the regular size Mars bars? They all taste different. I Surely they're the same Mars, Mars bar. bars. I don't know that. The double decker ones and the dinky decker ones, they have dinky deckers. Dinky deckers. <laughs> yeah. They are completely different products. Yeah, I just, I don't know. L- listeners, do you agree with me that fun size Mars bars taste different than both the mini Mars bars and the real full size Mars bars? Full size Mars bars are the kings. They are the Email. kings. The king. The because when I when I was young and uh, herself has even got me this for, for Easter. Mars bar Easter egg every time. Every year, year after year, Mars bars every time. That's what I would have. And I would still, if I'm going to get a chocolate bar now, which I, again, I feel weird buying a chocolate bar for myself. Like I would never walk into a, into a shop and buy a Milky bar or a, a, a Mars bar or any sort of bar for myself. I'm like, what's going on here? I'd occasionally get something nice like a dime bar. Or even, I sometimes I treat myself to a Turkish delight. Do you know what? I love Turkish delight as well. <laughs> there, it's 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 an acquired taste supposedly because herself loads mm. it, loads it. Um, but like if I, you know, I just find it be weird if I'm walking into a shop and I'm just like, you know, getting a a Red Bull and a, a chocolate bar, and they're like behind the counter, they're kind of going, having a snack, are you? Feeling a bit peckish, are you? Going to eat that in the car, are you? I'm just like. No, I won't do that. So I'll, I'll always buy something else. So it won't look like all oh, he's going to He's going to eat them on the way home. The fucking barbarian. He's going to eat it on the way home, on the street, like a dog, like a crow. I love, I love two <laughs> litres of milk, a newspaper, <laughs> and, and, and three is, Mars bars, please. If you, if you buy eggs with anything, they'll just assume, oh, well, that's a credible thing that you've just, this is a credible shop you've had here. So you get your Mars bar, you get your Red Bull. Although I would never get two at the same time. I would get a Red Bull, but then get some eggs. So you have a lot of eggs at home, but nobody thinks any less of you in the shop, which is very important. It's very, very, yeah, very judgy, very judgmental in shops. Because again, if, if if you're a local, like they see you and you're coming in every day and like thinking, oh, there he is again. There's the Mars, Mars bar There's the Mars, bar, yeah. the Mars bar kid. Look. There he is. Got to keep on your toes with these people. They're all watching you, Owen. They're all watching you and looking at you. 
Do you know everybody else? The only way they say it will like, oh, just do what you like. Nobody is thinking about you. Yes, they are. Yes, they are thinking about you and remembering the stupid things you did as a teenager. That's what just because nobody's out to get you doesn't mean you're not paranoid. Exactly. 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 Can I get closer to the camera here? Exactly. <laughs> right, we, we have better um, cover we, some. Uh, we we missed Christmas. Evening. We missed Christmas. We we did. We missed the entirety of Christmas. We actually took a break from rugby, which was good because there was pl- plenty of woe around. <laughs> plenty of woe. Too much woe, Owen. <laughs> Too much woe. Especially um, for two biased monster lads like ourselves. Oh, completely. Yes. Um, That's what they say about us in the shop, Owen, by two biased lads there walking in. Look at him there. But do you know, the good thing is, the people in the shop, they say Jeff is even more biased than us. They do. They do. <laughs> Everybody thinks he's not, but he is. He is. Oh, he just he's so hates biased. everyone. He's so biased against the human race. <laughs> <laughs> As a rugby in total. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start with Connacht. Um, Connacht had a not too bad of a Christmas period. Um, they good. lost, yeah, they lost um, away to Ulster in 2019, uh, but they beat Munster 22 9 at home. That Munster win stopped a losing run of five games, so they're pretty happy heading into Europe um, this week. The the win, I mean, it was a, a good performance, a game that probably could have got a win up in Belfast. Wouldn't have been of. wouldn't have been undeserved, I would say. They were right in yeah. there. Until it and then the monster game it was twenty two nine. Um but I suppose the try at the end took the sort of bumped it a bit. Sort of yeah. It, yeah, on the scoreboard. But they were still very comfortable in the in that game. That was a good a solid win for them. They never looked yeah. in too much trouble in that second half. Like they all like they looked like they could pull away and that they would pull away pretty much at any point in that game. Uh the weather was awful like you wouldn't put a rat out in that rain. And they were um it was just a really just tight game. Um but at the same time Connacht deserved their win. More than deserved it I would say. Um, the score at the end, I don't, I don't think flattered them. Even if it did add a bit of polish to the score, they were they were much better than Munster on the day. Yeah, I think so. Um, and they are up against uh, Leon on Saturday uh, lunchtime. Um, Connacht lost their two opening games. Um, they were beaten by Bordeaux at home and then Saracens away. They've shipped nearly 100 points in those two games, which probably tells you something about where Connacht are in terms of the Champions Cup. I think, and I, I don't mean this as something of a disre- disrespect to Connacht, but you've you've also got to sort of take them of where they stand in the competition overall and measure them against that. You're not going to measure yeah. Connacht as it's, it's a failure if they don't win the Champions Cup this year. Oh, no, God. Like, they'd be ecstatic to get to a quarterfinal. Yeah. That'd be a fantastic return for them. If they get to the knockouts, that'd be doing really well at this stage. Um, but if they were to get to a round of 16 or a quarter final, even that'd be unbelievable for them. What a season that would be straight away. And uh, like that, that's not to small time them or anything, but like I, I genuinely think that that would be a massive return for them if they were to get that. They'd be over the moon. Um, yeah, but like I think that you know, it's one thing to beat an incredibly depleted monster team. In a Christmas Interpro during a fucking car wash of a game. 
Um, it's another then again to take on the likes of Bordeaux and Saracens on, you know, where the ground is, where it's, there's no leveler, not one won't say leveler, but there's no weird weather conditions and you have to deal with their power straight up. Leon will be the same, although not to the same level as Bordeaux or Saracens, but they're going to be a dangerous outfit. Like The one thing I was very impressed with and um, go back to the Munster game for Connacht was how they played the referee. Um, I, I thought how smart they were, particularly in, in defence. Um, they played the referee exactly as they would have wanted to. They pushed everything to the limit. They Busby is one of these referees, and you you look at him, he, he tries to coach a team through it, whether it's at the scrum, whether it's at the breakdown, whatever. And Connacht played him to his absolute limits and slowed down Munster Ball. And that's, no, that's not a criticism of Connacht at all. It, that's that's actually really, positive for really well. Like I think that referees at the moment are in a tough spot because everybody's telling them that they want the game to flow. They don't want the referee blowing a whistle every 30 seconds. That means that there's going to be an element of coaching involved just to prevent that from happening. And Connacht were very good at pushing that right up to the limit and um, just prevented Munster from playing anything close to their game even in the, even in the conditions so it was a really good performance from from Connacht smart aggressive um, but they always tend to show that against Munster in the sports ground that, that's just a that's a, a given at this stage almost um, but with Leon I'm just looking looking through Leon's team here Arno both is playing for them he's playing for Ar- Ar- Arno both is playing for them now uh, they've got Semi Randradra there they've got um Demba Bamba, Sebastian Tawafifafanua, like lots of size, lots of power. Felix Lambie, who's the most Irish-looking French guy I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Roman Tawafifanua. Yeah, like again, th- like that kind of size and power typically has been a bit of a problem for Connacht if they can't, you know, play around it. And that's going to be the challenge for them here. Yeah, and I, I think... When, when you look back at the the Munster game, Munster didn't have the size and the power. They didn't have the platform to play off either. And as you've said, when Connacht come up against that, that's where they've had the problems. The likes of Bordeaux were, were able to mix it up with them physically. They were able to dominate them on the game line, but then they were able to play ball. And if a, t- a team can do that, they're going to put big points on, on Connacht. And I think yeah, it's like- how... On transition, rather, Bordeaux are just incredibly dangerous. They've got so much talent there. But if you want to fucking mix it up tight, they have unbelievable size and power as well. Like they're gonna they're gonna go deep into this tournament, I think, our Bordeaux. Um but that like that's a bad matchup for any team really. But for Connacht, mm-hmm. as they're currently constructed at the moment, it, it certainly is. Especially if they're not getting any sort of return at the breakdown. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be the test of as well as Scott Fardy's defence bedded in against Munster and without that power, the test is can they do that against the power that's there? Can they find a way to sort of soak the, the gain line losses and still be effective in def- um, in defence? And part of that's just stop giving away the silly penalties, stop giving away what I think is the sort of the easy points after Connacht have scored. 
who can't do all the hard work and they get their points and suddenly from the kickoff, it just seems to be, I don't know, as a mental dip or whatever, that they're easy enough to, to get points back relatively quickly for the opposition as well. Yeah, like, but like, I think Connacht are a good side this year. I think that they've had a difficult run of fixtures. Like, I mean, you know, playing Bordeaux and then Saracens and uh, Leinster and Ulster, that's a horrible schedule regardless of who you are. Um, but I think once it starts to, once the conditions start to consistently dry up as we get into the spring and then into the summer, I have a feeling they'll be a dangerous enough outfit, I think. If they can keep the majority of their, of their, their primary players fit, I think they're going to be a dangerous outfit. Well, I, I think, look, Connacht's, whatever happens for the for the remainder of the Champions Cup, you look at their URC fixtures and they have, they're playing, I think is it three, at least three of the Scottish, or three of the Welsh uh, provinces coming up, uh, regional sides, and then you're playing both the Italian teams. And, and then you've got like the, the Lions are coming up to, to Galway as well. So they've got games that are winnable and I think they can go on a strong run in the second half. Of, yeah, of the like URC saying, season, there they've had they've had a fairly difficult opening schedule in the league, um, with some of the teams they've played, and they've obviously been on the South Africa tour as well, which is it's it's just tough going, but that's going to be I think in the second half of the season a real benefit for them, and even this weekend, I just think I, I don't think there's any pressure on them. Obviously, they want to get a win, they need to get a win, but their season isn't hinging on it one way or the other. I think that no, they're think, more than capable of making a deep run in the URC, and give it a good give it a good lash this weekend. See what happens. They've got a few injuries, obviously, as well, and, and suspensions. Um, well, yeah, I think you know, that. yeah, Mac Hansen is out for three months, three to four months, I think, and uh, with the shoulder injury in the the monster game. Um, uh, Byron Ralston is suspended from that as well. Carl Ford is out for this game, and uh, oh, is Carl Ford long term? Um, I only heard he was out for this game. Um, oh, okay, yeah, no, good player. What's he, your take on should... the uh, on the uh, the the Ralston and Mac Hansen dichotomy that we've seen over the last two weeks? Look, it it is to me. It is what it is in terms of for for Jack O'Donoghue. It's a season-ending um, injury. It was reckless, and I think that's the best phrase that uh, the best terminology I can use around it. It's becoming more prevalent. I also think that the refer that the players have to be held responsible for their own actions which they are being done, they, which is happening on this, right? But you also have to get into it because the referees are allowing this. Where you allow guys to come in from the side <clears throat> with intent, and we've seen this. I called, I had something there from the, the Munster-Leinster game. Um, was it uh, Nankaville got caught from the side? Yes, yeah, yeah. That could have been exactly the same thing. Yeah. He was it's just—it's one of those things where, like, again, they want the game to flow, and they, everybody wants attacking rugby. Rocks are a key part of it of attacking rugby, so a lot gets let fly in, on the attacking side of the ball. Um, I think it's it, the game is more dangerous. Like we, we, we're, everyone's fierce to get brain injury out of the game, and rightly so. But we look at the number of serious injuries that have happened over the years to fellas at breakdowns. And the thing is with with with, with uh, Ralston. He's coming in from the side 
like it's not wildly in from the side either, I would say. But it's just the means of which he's trying to clear O'Donoghue out. It's unrealistic that he's going to do it safely. And the way it gets driven into a planted foot from an, an oblique angle, we'll say. And he's going in low and down. So I'm not sure what the... It's, uh, it's, it's reckless. He's not looking to injure the guy. But it, we have to try and make the game safer. And you, you people then are kind of... The, the, the dichotomy I'm seeing is, well, what about Matt Hansen? He's injured. He's out for three to four months. Should John Hodnett be banned? I would say no. Because that, to me, looks more like a rugby incident. Because Matt Hansen is in over the ball, like in a, in a low enough body position. Hodnett's coming in oblique. I wouldn't say he's coming in wildly in from the side either. He's cleaning him out hard. And Mac Hansen's body position from the start, from that low angle, exaggerates the sort of the, the drive through from Hodnett. That, to me, is a rugby incident and would be separate from the Ralston one. Going on the, the Hansen one, my, and I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it, but my impression of that was that Hodnett came in low and started to drive up. It yeah. would have been what, it would have been, the Hodnett incident would have been what happened with Ralston if he wasn't going down. Down, yeah. yeah. Ralston's um, angle was he went down, he missed the arm, so he went straight onto the knee, fucked the leg up. And if he was going down and up, it would have been onto the shoulder. It would have been similar to the Hansen. May or may not have had a um, look, there, an, an there could injury. have been an injury to O'Donoghue in that instance, and you'd just yeah. be like, "Look, that's the game." But that's when it. it's when it's down like that, you look at it. Well, that was reckless. That's, reckless. that's why. Yeah. That's why the the ban is is in as a result. It is, and I mean, to be honest with you, I would have more of an issue with the Ali Yeager incident than I would have with the Jack O'Donoghue one. That's the one that kind of confused me as well on the day. I mean, and look, we've seen that tackle how many times? I think actually Munster had a tackle just like it. Um, I think a few phase, no, a few few minutes before, I think on, not sure who it was, but it forced a. a not, I was on Carl Ford actually, and ended up getting an injury of some description, whatever it was. I had had to go off. Um, that kind of double tackle. It's an invitation for the two guys who were shoulder to shoulder on the inside where that's a no arms tackle by default. Like yeah. that, that cannot have any arms attached to it. That's just going to be a shoulder shot. And we see it every where, time. Where, the, where you're doing that. I remember <laughs> defending my, being in defense and myself. And we used to try and do that with a, a sort of as a, as a pre-joined thing. So you're, you're the two defenders are coming in pre-joined almost like second rows in a scrum where you're going so that you're making sure you're bound and you've got your shoulder there you can still pop the hit to me that was almost like a with the Jaeger one it was almost like beating him and I can't think of the other guy who was on the Connick side it was almost like a pincer Joyce to him was almost like a pincer movement with shoulder charges there was no arms there realistically it was tucked arms it was almost like what they call the chicken wing type thing where you're going in but you're effectively doing shoulder charges into it yeah, and like, and the thing is, look, Munster had one before, so it's not just about oh, you know, two guys who were so biased for Leinster rugby like ourselves looking to try and get no, guys cited. No, <laughs> like it's, it's not, not about it's, not it's, it's about making. Like, it's an interesting thing though because, like, my hot take was, like, long ago that there should be no double tackles. That it should be one on one. That there should be no two on one incident in rugby in open play. That I would get rid of binding. 
you know, for your latches, yeah. we'll say. Mm. And it would get rid of double tackles. So it's one-on-one. You can be around there. You can be around a tackle, but you can't have two guys hitting one guy in attack or in defense. That's a, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. It would, it would certainly lead to more things like offloads. It's, you, players either go lower or higher. <laughs> you know, there's no, yeah. there's no in You have to either take them low and increase the offloads, or you have to go almost to the as high as you can on the limit to stop the offload. Yeah, so like, like, I just think that you know, how many times have we seen guys getting fucked up on either trying to tackle, uh, you know, two on one, or running into two guys at once and. You see shots like that who are, I mean, shots. It's not like they're going out there to fucking brain him, but you know what I mean? As in, it's like, I think it's by default, it's almost a naturally more dangerous position, I would say, on the rugby field to be running into two guys who, because they're joined together, they can't mind read each other. So that's when things and angles start to get fucked up. And I think if had they looked at the back replay sooner, I think you might have seen a card in, in that one, but let's be clear as well Monster would have lost the game regardless oh yeah even, even no, with no change even in that right card there <laughs> Monster would have lost regardless <laughs> unless unless one of those cards was to bring on a player who could throw into the line out correctly I don't think Monster were going to win it <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that because it's painful We'll move on from there. So the uh, Leon game, uh, Leon, uh, as we said, on Saturday lunchtime, Leon have lost their, lost away to Bristol by two points, but beat the Bulls at home. They're then towards the bottom in the top 14. It's a tough away one. I'd say Connacht to be doing well to come away with anything from this, losing bonus points. Is that that at home or away? That's away for Connacht. Oh, yeah, they'd be doing very well to get a losing bonus point there, I would say. Depends on how Leon approach it, but because they're at home, it means they're unlikely to yeah. throw their hat at it. So if they come out with any serious team, um, they've got the physicality that that'll hurt Connacht. I think Connacht, if they got came out of that with a losing bonus point win or losing losing bonus point loss, they'd be delighted. Be doing well. well, not yeah. delighted, but they'd be, they'd, be do, they'd be doing well. Doing well out of that. Moving on then to Leinster, who beat uh, Munster in Thomond on um, Stevenson's day, but then lost to Ulster in the RDS. Um, lots of rotation around their squad. They seem to have a, a sort of a, a prioritised the Munster game and then made significant changes then for the Ulster one. And got caught. Um, yeah, you, you could you could tell looking at the team that they wanted to target the monster game in Tolman. Anytime they've got mm-hmm. um, Porter starting and Sheehan, well, no, was Kelleher starting in that one? I'm not sure. They, they had a lot of their top guys in that game. Not all of them, but the ones that they typically see in the team when they want to win a game more so than others. Um, but the weather conditions in that game were again brutal. Feels like every game monster played this week, like in the last over Christmas, was during a yellow weather alert. <laughs> but Leinster really showed their power and the, the strength that they have in that team um, especially up front when the game is naturally tighter because of the weather it felt like Munster could be out there for a week and not break them down if the weather was the same yeah, oh look, Munster were struggling. I think you know there there's certain things, and we'll we'll get onto it more when we when we discuss Munster. But yeah, Munster lacked there. 
I think the one thing that has, for me, looking at it, is the lack of attack that Leinster have put together so far. I think their their uh, strike plays and launch plays have been quite good. Um, and the thing is, they have those in the bank anyway. Like that, that's something yeah. that, that like they'll have a menu to work off going back years, and their execution of those is always superb. Mm. But I think their their phase attack has looked very much down from where they have been previously. Yeah, and like, I think that's a worry. I think it's it's been some of it you can put down to the weather conditions that they faced over the last while as well, going all the way back to the La Rochelle coming on. It none of none of those have been great. But they you look at like the Ulster game, they had plenty of opportunities, even within when they, you know, when they got their penalties that they're looking for to give them this the launch plays and the strike plays. They weren't able to convert. Now, some of that was down to a weakened team and Ulster put out a, a strong team against them, but they weren't able to boss the team, um, to boss them through. Their attack overall looks a little bit stunted or rusty. Um, they're, not, they're not having... I think, I think we spoke about this on another platform. Um, I think that because there's so much focus on getting their defence right, that's eating up a large percentage of their training minutes that they have. And you've only got so many uh, in the last number of weeks. And until they get that down, I think that elements of their attack will not stagnate, but not be what we've typically come to expect from Leinster. Because like, typically you look at Leinster where their strike plays are fantastic. Their post-transition game is really good, where those first two or three phases on transition are where they're outstanding. I think that they've gone back a little bit in that aspect of their game. They have changed elements of what they're doing as well. They've like, Obviously in defense, but I think in attack as well. Um, some of that will be down to they have to kind of find out who they are now without Sexton. That's going to take a bit of time to... to conceptually just get that together um but again i think that you look at even at that stage where they're you know i would say still trying stuff out they're still winning games like they lost ulster by what a point um you look at the their ability it was more than a point it was a score they lost by more or less um mm-hmm. you look at the the way they've been performing overall they'll be fairly happy with where they are They've got I think so. Options coming through in the front five, like Joe McCarthy has been a big player for them in the last couple of um last couple of weeks. Um, you know, when James Ryan has been out, they haven't missed him so much. Um, yeah, they're in, I think they're in a decent place overall. I think so. I think what is it? Nina has, has spoken about his defense this week and has said, you know, it's it's going to take him fourteen weeks to put it in. This is going to be. Sort of, I think he's talking mid-April for that, which is exactly where they want to be. That they'll they'll be there. There, that's coming down. I think Billy Burns did really well to exploit the gaps that are there. I don't necessarily see that as a system failure or even player failure. I I think, or sorry, I don't see that as player failure. I see that as a system failure with Neil Harris' defense. That's where the space always is. Yeah, when you, both for Munster, for yeah. South Africa, and for Leinster yeah. going forward, it will be. It is. It's it's that he doesn't employ like if you look at that first try for Nick Timoney, he doesn't employ a sweeper. 
into that space. He doesn't get the the scrum half to run behind the line. He that's where the space is. The conditions and Burns' ability to put those kicks in right on the game line when the defense are rushing at him in the heat of heat of the battle, that was outstanding. Like he he, he had, gave them. He had, he had a great game, and like as in Leinster, in that first half in particular, you're we're looking at it and going, "What the fuck is going on here? What? How was that? How was there so much space over there?" But remember. That was at Munster as well. When you look at when Nienaber first took over Munster's defence, I remember there being a ton of criticism. I'm not sure what game it was, but basically where they got caught on the outside and the criticism on the by all the pundits were, why are Munster so narrow? Because again, they hadn't seen a blitz defence just they hadn't seen a blitz like that. But as Leinster no, I, developing and they clicked, as they begin to click with it, it'll become more oppressive. Yeah, and I think there, there's there's two ways around that defence. One is you kick in behind with the little grubbers that, that Burns did. The other one is that you get to better weather and you go deeper to go round. And the question yes. the question then becomes for Leinster, do they have the players? And we again, we spoke about this on a, on within the TRK um, platform in, in more detail. Do Leinster have the wingers to play that defence that he wants? Yeah, that's going to be something going forward. I think that they're going to look at. I, I can see actually Jordan Larmore getting a lot of reps under under um, under Nienaber. um because he's again he's look he's obviously an important player for Leinster. But I think the pace that he brings and the is change of direction that's going to be hugely important for for Leinster going forward. Um, but I, I think just looking at how like the physicality that they have in the middle of the field. That's exactly what it needs to be. And Ring Rose is hugely important in that as well. His defensive in- intelligence, his read, they badly missed him against um, against Ulster. I think Ring Rose he becomes... Was, was he? <laughs> I hope he uh, was. No, 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 he wasn't. He wasn't. Um, but I think Ring Rose becomes almost a default winger in Nienaver's system for Leinster. It's the same principle. That, yeah. Yeah. So effectively, you're you're playing your your winger becomes like a third center, another outside center, or your your outside center becomes like another winger in that system where the two of them are chasing hard. They're the decision makers when to push, when to when to turn and chase. They're they're really the guys. And like one of the things that I've heard so many of the players talk about under Nina's system is you don't let it get more than two or three passes across. You can't let them because if they get that third or fourth pass in. They've gone wide. They've gone around the edge, and that's where his system is screwed. Once yeah, they get in behind there, to open space there. Yeah, looking at planning permission and, back there. They're going to build a nice cabin in yeah, that space and, on the outside of the Leinster defence. And that's it. at the moment. Even you look at, I think it was Ulster's second try. They Leinster were caught so narrow with the line break, and then like Burns was kicking over to Stockdale. You know who was, you know three fields away nearly in, in terms of the nearest the, Leinster defender. The only thing I'll say about the, about the Nina Arbor defence um, is that it was exhausting for Munster to run over the course of an entire season. And with South Africa, they didn't have to do it over 18 regular season games. You know, three, four European pool games, never mind all the knockouts. So that's something that they may look at as well, the fatigue aspect of it, because I remember Munster running on fumes at the end of the season um, under Ian Arbor, uh previously. Whether he'll adjust elements of it or whether you can adjust elements of it, because a high-energy blitz is going to be very, very difficult to maintain anyway. 
Now, Leinster obviously have the personnel for it. I actually think Will Connors, by the way, is due a massive renaissance under this, um, under Nina Amber, I think, just because of how defence-focused he is and how important it's going to be. But, yeah, I think their depth will be tested as the season goes on, especially with the Six Nations guys coming back from that. Attrition, I think, will be the big thing for Leinster this year, more so than even the system bedding in. From a defensive perspective, I think the attrition of the Six Nations in combination with the World Cup and the minutes that the likes of Dan Sheen and Andrew Porter have put in since the World Cup, that's going to be the key, like the key for them, I think, is that if they can get most of those guys back from the Six Nations, I think they'll win at least one trophy this year, maybe even two. I think so. And just to go back, I totally agree with you on the Will, Con- Will Connors thing. I think he's going to be massive for them. I think between they take parts of Ryan Baird's game, they take parts of Will Connors' game, and what you end up is replicating what Peter Steph the Toy does for the box. Yep. In terms can, of line can, and tackle. They can start that at the same time, or they can pair it off the bench. Um, I think that yep. his days of being, well, he has been injured the last number of seasons, I would say. But he has bumped up a number of spaces, I would say, since Neen Arbor has come in because he's a six foot five tackling machine. I mean, that's exactly what the likes of uh, Jacques Neen Arbor would want. Totally. So Leinster face Stade Francais in the Aviva on Saturday evening. Um, Leinster beat La Rochelle away in their opening game and then sail at home. Uh, Stad are third in the top 14, but lost their opening two Champions Cup games uh, against sail, sail away. Like kind of, sail at home is like that kind of like Mambo number six. <laughs> it's like a sort of a weird <laughs> alternate version of a song. <laughs> And then um, they lost to Tigers at home. So um, it's hard to see them coming to to Dublin on Saturday with the, a team that may be interested in this. If they do, though, like, they're what? Are they, are they still top of the top 14? Third in the top they're 14. Third. Yeah. Like, Elements of what they have in their pack are a bad matchup for Leinster in general. Mm-hmm. But it's whether they're interested in going to um the going to the uh Viva Stadium and and you know going after that game. Like I mean they've got I'm just looking at some of their names here, like JJ Vandermesht in their second row. He's six foot six and a half and one hundred and forty-five kg. So obviously not a line out jumper. Um but like you've got Paul uh, Allo Emile uh, in in their yeah. like their tight head prop played for um, uh, Samoa, Samoa massive scrummager. Um, Rory Cockett is, is playing for Stad now. I thought he'd retired. <laughs> Why are you still here? I thought he had as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, just, everyone again, wear your goggles. Yeah, wear, wear the goggles. Free eye exams. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it depends on what their interest levels are. To be honest. Um, they have a front five, I think, that could possibly hurt uh, Leinster. But again, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they sent over the Espoirs, the bus driver and the mascot for this one. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of a sim- similar opinion. I think it's um, Leinster to win handily enough. God, we're so that. biased. I know. Boo to Leinster. Boo. Um, Boo. Uh, moving on then to Munster, who lost both their uh, Interpro. Yes. <laughs> now we get to the good stuff. Uh, lost both their uh, Interpros at home to Leinster and Connacht away. They're outside the playoff teams. spots. 
<laughs> Damn referees. Uh, outside the playoff spots uh, in the URC at the moment. Um, it's hard to talk about Munster at the moment without talking about injuries. Yeah. And thing is, there's thing enough is of them. You, thing is, you can't talk about injuries, though, because straight away people hear injuries and think excuses. But it's like, if I'm walking to the shop and I break my leg on the way there to get my Mars bar and my Red Bull, if somebody asks, well, why didn't you get the Mars bar and Red Bull? You can say, well, because I broke my leg on the way there. And that's not an excuse. That's just a reason. So, like, I think if you put into that monster team, Jean Klain, RG Snayman off the bench, whatever, um, Peter Romani starting around off the bench, Niall Scannell, a you know, guy you could throw into the lineout, um, Dermot Barron, all these, I could keep naming guys. <laughs> I could name nearly what, 19, 20 guys at this stage? Yeah. Um, Mike Haley. We could just na- guys can just have the great the best time just naming injured monster players. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably stay here for about ten minutes and just start to list off the players that have been injured <laughs> or are currently injured. But I mean, like, it, it's it's impacting how monster play and the way monster are playing. And I I've heard you talk about it as well. It's actually impacting the way monster are training as well. It yeah, because you you can't train fully. As I was talking to um, one of the lads there, and there was like, well, they've, they've had to reduce the sessions because you can't train your lineup fully if you've got you're down to two hookers, senior hookers, and two senior locks. You can't run full opposition because you're you've got NTS guys who are there, so you've got to cut back on that. Because again, what level of training are you getting if you're throwing against lads who are? you know, basically mitching off school. <laughs> like, what, what are you getting from a training perspective? And, and you know, like, that's just the reality of it. Um, So they've had to cut down elements of their sessions just because, again, you've got so many guys injured. Like, one of the biggest ways to get injured in the in training these days is line-out drill. Because anytime you're lifting any fella who's, you know, oh, 100, 120, you know, 115 kg into the air and trying to bring him back down again, that's where injuries happen. So you've got to limit. I'm, I'm just going to correct correct you on that, Tom. It's not actually the lifting that causes the injury. It's the coming back down and hitting oh, the yeah. ground that generally does it. <laughs> I didn't injure him. The ground did. Yeah, the ground did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so all that adds all that adds difficulty because people asking like, well, why is Monsters lineup looking so fucking shit in the last couple of games? elements of it but you can't train it the same way that you would so it's it starts to fall off and it's just it's but just I mean, one of those things the other reason and, and, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not to say that the throwing has, and the lineouts themselves haven't been fucking rubbish but but it was part I mean, of the way. You, it, it is but you also then look at like you've lost baron you've lost scano you're Right, you then have you know you're bring going down. You bring in Owen development. He gets injured. Gets injured. You're, you're you're now going sort of like fourth, fifth choice into into the depth chart on this, and it's not like even their fourth, their fourth or fifth choice. They're not used to throwing in. You don't necessarily have your normal lineout callers. You don't have your normal lineout jumpers. You're missing the likes of Klein, Snyman, Omani. These are the guys that would be running the line out, calling it. You're putting it under more and more pressure. Um, and, and I think it's... Got, 
experienced guys like that and you're training and even if you're an inexperienced hooker right if you're training with all those guys in the build up to a game like they give you confidence midweek but when you're throwing in you've got fellas who are inexperienced at, at that level or you know who aren't who, who haven't had a whole ton of big games I mean Tygburn obviously is an exception here but when you've got Gavin Coombs who is a, a back row jumper he might be a secondary jumper for Munster he's now a primary guy and he has to play the lifting role that our second rows do typically. That all adds up, makes things a little bit more difficult. And when you bring in the weather as well, it made it difficult. I felt bad for Scott Buckley in that game because he had a a nightmare, like a game that you're looking down, you'd wonder like, you know, am I wearing boots? Do you know, it's just one of those nightmare games where it's like, this can't be real. Is that the slender man in the crowd? <laughs> I think the other one is that it also then changes what Munster are doing because they don't have a line-out platform to work from. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you don't necessarily want to kick too much either. So what I think what they're what they're doing is they're keeping the ball in hand more to go through it because when you when you kick to the corner or you're you're sort of you're trying to do transition phase. You don't necessarily want the, the opposition to kick the ball into touch because you know you're going to struggle to get it back. If you have the ball, you keep holding it. Connacht and Leinster are more than happy to kick the ball out against Munster now. Yeah. Happy. Like we, we had a Munster of what, 16 lineouts against Connacht, something like that? Connacht one, one about 50% of it. Yeah. It was, you know, it was 63%. I don't know why I know that, but it was around 63%, <laughs> which again is not good. And some, and some of the 63% that we did get were like, they were only technical retained possession like they were it was it, it was it was bad and like the thing is look young guys have games like that and it's like i saw a lot of criticism of scott buckley and whatever else look young player tough conditions for throwing anyway and had a nightmare it's just it's one of those things that happen you might i won't won't be slating the guy over it you know but it's like monsters still lost the games and like that's yeah. the they lost at home to leinster physically that's where the injuries begin to show there as well. And the thing is, look, Leinster are a really good side. But again, I don't think you can separate all of the injuries from Munster underperforming. Like, I think I saw somebody there during the week were kind of saying, look, even with the injuries, Munster aren't playing well. Because of the injuries, Munster can't play to the full potential that they did against the Stormers, we'll say, in the, semi, in the final in the URC or against Leinster. Because you need to have a baseline of guys to work with. Like we've been playing with a big number eight in the second row for the last couple of weeks, just because of all the injuries. And that will take a toll. We don't really have much depth off the bench either. So when teams are refreshing in the second half, Munster aren't able to do so. That also has an effect. I I think one of the, the things that I've noticed that I was hoping Jeff would be on because he's he's good at these sort of things. I think Munster are going through a phase similar to Connacht went through there. Was it last season or the season before where they were losing the fourth quarter consistently? Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is down if you're starting your fourth choice hooker or fifth choice hooker, the guy you're bringing off the bench is going to be further down the depth chart. It's That's not it. going to. It's like not going Munster. to enhance the team, particularly then when you have to rotate players out, when you have to manage the minutes of the internationals and then bring other guys on. Those sort of things are going to happen. It's part of the reason that Munster are not closing out games 
Um, it's, and yeah, doing it's it. like it's it's one thing sticks out. Connacht in the the game in in no, on New Year's Day, around the fifty something minute mark after Munster scored to go ahead, Connacht brought on five forwards. I think it was four or five forwards, fresh off the bench. Munster couldn't do that until later in the game, and like last five minutes, they brought on Witcherly and a couple of other guys. So Connacht come on fresh. They've got good power, good impact from those guys. They've got second rows. <laughs> like they brought on Murray and um, Oshin Dowling, I think, as well. And that all adds to your power in a game where weather conditions are shit, so you can't play with the same freedom. They made it really difficult for Munster with a 6-2 split. And I felt as in my mentions the day before, going, well, why did Munster do a 6-2 split? Because we don't have the six forwards on the bench to do it. <laughs> so I think that's it. I mean, look, these these are the reasons. It it doesn't disguise that Munster aren't able to close it out. It doesn't disguise that there are things that they can do better around the line oh, out with one, schemes 100%. and yeah, technical yeah. stuff. But it's part of the reasons behind it. I think you know if we move on then to the sort of the, the news, Munster news. Then apart from the injuries, I mean, like there is some stuff around players potentially coming back this week. But I mean, like, I suppose the the big news coming out. Um, this week is obviously Joey Carberry leaving. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's it's a loss for Munster, particularly for next se- you know for next season onwards. But I don't think it's unexpected, really. No, no. Like I think most of like my work this year when I'm dealing when I'm talking about contracts and all that other business has been on the assumption that Joey Carberry won't be here next season, um, and that's obviously confirmed now, mainly because. Jack Crowley is the guy at Munster now. Um, I think that's fairly clear. He's arguably the guy at Ireland as well, but we'll have to wait and see. So in that scenario, you can't pay Joey Carberry what he's probably worth because you can't have two guys on that kind of money on Munster's budget, the provincial budget, because neither of them are centrally contracted. So that then means that you've got to go with one and you've got to get somebody else on backup money. Um, Joey Carberry at his stage in his career shouldn't be on backup money. Absolutely not. So if he can get, and he obviously has a club lined up abroad, more power to him. That's it. Look, I think you you put it there. It's, it's an economics question. Mm-hmm. When Carberry signed his last uh, last contract, he was in the Ireland frame. He was back up to Johnny Sexton. He was number one at Munster. That's changed. He Munster shouldn't be in the position to overpay him to try and keep him, Can't and he shouldn't be in a position. He shouldn't be in a position where he necessarily has to accept that underpayment if the market is willing to pay him more. And I think Plus, from that part of view, he's not in the frame. In Ireland anymore, it, it seems. So there's no massive incentives here for him to stay on. Like, obviously, I'm sure he, he enjoyed his time at Munster, but financially, it makes sense for both teams or for, for both sides here, for Carberry himself yeah. to get better value outside the country and for Munster to not pay Joey Carberry what he's probably worth because it doesn't make sense. Like it would be a bad no. use of resources if you look at you know who Munster have in the books. 
like they need to get like Jack Crowley obviously is the number one guy and I wouldn't be surprised if he was bumped on an early contract extension then you're looking for a fella who's either looking to try and establish himself in his mid-twenties or a veteran from abroad or whatever um, or they may look to try and go look we'll stick with Tony Butler and we'll work with him next year and go you know use use him I mean they're going to have to make a decision on it one way or the other. We'll, we'll see, obviously, in the coming weeks whether, whether they are or whether they aren't. But, um, yeah, they couldn't pay Joey what he's probably worth, really, realistically. Like, I mean, it's, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I think so. I think either way, they're going to have to bring someone into that 10, whether it's a promotion up from the academy or whatever way they need to do. They need to have three to four guys who can, who can sort of slot in there. Maybe that's... Um, Rory Scannell can cover a couple of games or whatever way they need to but they need to find something in there to do that um, the other news then is the Virgin Media deal for Musgrave Park which was uh, announced today that in itself is a solid dollar signs in for Munster Ka-ching uh, yeah it's, Ka-ching. it's it, to me I know people have their opinions on naming rights for stadiums I don't give a shit because it's whatever I call it in my head. Nobody's going to come into my head and make me call it Virgin Media Park in my head as I'm sitting down at night dreaming of playing for Munster in Virgin Media Park. Um, But like, it's solid money. Easy. Easiest going. If they'll pay the money, take it. Take it. Um, I mean, for God's sake, they, they took the money from Irish Independent. You know, they took the money and still had a toxic relationship there in terms of yeah. what, what Irish Independent they've, they're doing. They've got, a, they've got a few clauses in place there. But like it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. look, Virgin are going to be covering the the Monster versus you know Crusaders game in February, more than likely. I would imagine they will be. Then you're looking mm. at the under-20s play and Virgin, I think, cover those games as well. Yeah. They're going to be playing in Virgin Media Park as well. It makes sense. And like, you know, you look at the games that, that Musgrave Park have on there, like, you know, Munster have in Musgrave Park during the year. Um, makes sense for, for Virgin. And like, fuck it. Like, it's it's money. It's all good. It's money. As I'm concerned. I, I would also hope that it may help to drive Virgin's interest in expanding their rugby coverage. That it may, they're obviously doing stuff with the, uh, they did stuff with the World Cup. They're doing stuff with the Six Nations. If they can drive it down to provincial level and bump up TV contracts for the URC and stuff like that that they're interested in bidding for those yeah. all the better beyond and plus as well I mean it's a credible brand as well like you know like Virgin Media big company like big TV channel like it just it's a win-win for me really yeah I think so I think that's that's a good one there so Munster face Toulon away on Saturday afternoon um, Munster drew obviously with Bayon at home and then lost to Exeter away Toulon are fifth in the top 14 but lost their two opening games home to Exeter and away to Northampton um, this could be an interesting game I imagine because Toulon are at home they'll have an interest in it and will be interested in putting out a half decent team Munster yeah. both teams need a win in this to keep the interest alive really in getting to the knockouts properly um, but tough tough game for Munster Munster in terms of the injuries, uh, Jack O'Donoghue, Kilcoyne, Barron, Adogbo, Klein, Snyman, Haley, and Salanoa 
are all out injured pretty much long term. Um, Clark is back from his HIA. Jaeger, Fenin Witcherly, Mankeville, Niles Scannell, Peter O'Mahony, Carberry and Pat Campbell are all to be assessed later in the week, although I don't expect all of them to be involved in the 23, but they would hope that some could come back out of that. Yeah, That's... I mean, look, it's a tough ask. There's no, there's no way around it. I mean, Monster with a full team there, you're thinking that's going to be a difficult game. Um, that's going to be a difficult game to 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 deal with. Um, Monster have to get something from it though. I mean, we've seen teams get through, you know, winning one game, uh, in in this tournament. So obviously, Monster will be targeting that home game against Northampton, who, by the way, are top of the league in uh, in England. Look, it's there's no way around it. It's going to be a very, very difficult game. Um, Toulon are beatable at home. We've seen that because they, they have been beaten by Exeter at home, although that was a close enough game as well. They have shown themselves to be quite wasteful in some of their possessions. Um, a little bit of confusion in their style overall, but you look at the power they have, the the talent they have in their team. Like They've got excellent goal kickers, size and power almost everywhere. They're missing one or two top guys as well, to be fair. But... Um, it's a very, very difficult game. <laughs> and there's no way around it. I think if Munster can get Clark, Scannell, Nankerville and Omani into the 23, and I, they then have a decent chance of fixing up a couple of things that are there. I think number one, Nankerville adds a bit of physicality in the midfield. And then with the likes of Scannell, Clark and um, Omani, you have then something to help solidify that line out and add a bit more depth there I think to me that that's what you're looking at if you can get that there you can try and get a platform to play off um, and then you also have the ability to bring maybe Carberry off play him at 15 as a second sort of um, distributor um, there as well maybe later in the game um, and that could work for them I think Munster could do well out of that it's still a very tough ask for them yeah, like I mean, you might you look at Toulon, like you look at their schedule, like they're playing uh, La Rochelle at the end of the month. Again, like they they've just played Montpellier there last week. Are they looking at, you know, do they rotate? Do they rotate some guys out? What's their priority at this stage? They're going to pitch up at home, but who will they pitch up with? They're going to be missing Charles Olivon, I think, and one or two others. Um, but they should be and probably are raging favourites for this. I think for Munster, like they can certainly win the game, without question. But they'll need guys, they'll need depth in the team. Like you're looking at maybe Omani off the bench, Jaeger maybe if he's back from his uh, his concussion protocols. Um, Witcherly, all these guys will be needed. Um, and if you're missing the likes of Omani, if you're missing Jaeger, if you're missing scandal doesn't make it or he's you know obviously it becomes much 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 more difficult then to, to try and win this game like Nankavel will be a guy they'll they'll need in this game um and that's kind of where monster are at they need that quality on the pitch because you your best team is your best players you need your best team going to Toulon to look to try and get a win but monster won't have that they're going to be without Claim, they're going to be without Snaman, they're going to be without one or two other guys who are pretty important. Can they make it work? I, I 
I'm going to say Munster to pick up one point, either through four tries or a losing bonus point, and then have to get a bonus point win against Northampton to bring it back to the old sky days of the, the Heineken Cup. The old Jericho <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to go more or less the same way. Um, I think Munster will be doing well. A losing bonus point here would be fantastic. Nabbing a win would be unbelievable. Um, but I, I can see it going the same way. A loot they have to get a losing bonus point. Without that, things are looking grim for that game. And you can point to injuries or whatever else, but the results are what they are. They need yeah. a losing bonus point at the very least from this game, or it's game over, I think. Um, so that's think, kind of the, the harsh reality of it, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. I think Mon- Munster need to limp through to the end of the Champions Cup games, hope that they can get enough players fit during the Six Nations rest periods, and then come back out and try finish off. I think Europe is potentially even a write-off now at this point. Um and I think this this game could could decide whether that happens or not. Um, we'll move on then to Ulster. Um, two wins. Uh, they had Connacht at home and Leinster in the RDS. So a very good um, period for Ulster. That's three good wins in a row now, I suppose, if you take the Racing game as well. Um, results starting to go back their way. Vibes coming out of the camp seem to be a lot happier than when we were talking about it pre-Christmas. Yeah, I've, I've inspected the vibes and the vibes are pleasant. They are positive, which is good to see. We like this. Um, Ulster, with the size they have now, kits off, yours. They've doubled down on it. We were wondering, was that a good idea? I think it is and has been. Um, Billy Barnes playing well. McCluskey playing unbelievable rugby as well, looking like a fucking Titan back there. Um, Stockdale back performing well. So yeah, they're 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 beat like they they beat a rotated Leinster team, but it didn't look like a sh- stun or fluke result. Like they had the power to make that work. Like Dave Ewers and, and Kitchoff have been outstanding signings. They've added so much to their physicality. They're such a hard team to play through now, Ulster. I think for me, Ulster are, they're a very good team. They're a very good league team. But I think once it comes to the knockout at the end of the season, I think the depth in their squad could be exposed. And, and plus, I think like once it gets on, to, if it gets to hard ground, if they're coming up against a, you know, a, a team with a kind of a more sophisticated attack, can they survive that? I mean, I think the bad weather has helped them because they're such a powerful team. Like they've got such a, the physicality they have is is so impressive. I think that adds to, like the weather has enhanced their ability to make that count. Although to be said, they beat up Racing. They beat the shit out of them. Like, Yeah. And look, it, it is. I think... As I say, more importantly, it's probably the results and stringing those together. I think for them, this was, a, and we talked about it pre-Christmas, this was a run of games that could go really well or really badly for them. And if it went really badly, you you were you were worried for for us to where it was going to go. They've killed it. And then yeah. look, they, they had they had a few a few moments, um a few moments where uh yeah, look, Leinster rotated out some of their top guys. You know, because they had to focus, they focused on Munster rather than Ulster. 
but you can only beat what's put in front of you. And look, you know, I think that's the that's the big thing. And like that, that sounds quite disrespectful to Leinster, but like Leinster without Andrew Porter and a couple of all of those big players are ring, different ring roles and stuff like ring that. Roles, yeah, that's a that's a different outfit. Like, um, I think the but to to give them the credit, I think particularly like looking at the Ulster or say the Leinster game in the RDS, they came with a game plan. They they almost targeted in in the fact that they were there. They were looking for the weaknesses and not only were they able to identify them they were able to exploit them very well it was a specific game plan just for that Leinster game and they were able to sort of um make that work for them i think the fact that they they went behind um late and you know what was it about 60 odd minutes they they you know they were behind Cooney gets gets the the three points, puts them back in front. They held out for the last quarter. Now you can talk about Harry Burns missed kicks and things like this going wrong, but I mean, like they still held out. They did what they needed to. They they held out when Leinster were five meters from the line, um, and stop, kept going. Stop Leinster in the mall from close range. That in itself is an achievement. That Leinster are so mm. good at converting those, and uh, that's again where Ulster, where Ulster, their size and power that they have available. Just looking at their team, the guys they're able to bring off the bench, just big, physical, powerful guys that they drag you through games like this. Yeah, and they're they have a tough one now. This uh, Saturday night, uh, they face Toulouse at home. Um, what a game that's going to be! That's going to be an absolute cracker. And I mean, like, to be fair, they, they played Toulouse, was it last year? Um, yes, they, they did, I think, yeah. And like, they they put Toulouse to the pin on their collar, if I remember, down in Toulouse, wasn't it? I think so. No, yeah, they, 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 they beat Toulouse in Toulouse. It was, yeah. In, it, it was in that double-legged game. Yes. In that, yes, that you're right on that one. I mean, like, they've, they've put in the performances... They've done that. I mean, they lost the bat. The one worry from that bat game was the scrum. Um, yes. They, they re, the bat really took them apart there. Racing didn't have the scrum. Can Toulouse get at them there? I don't know. Um, Toulouse, you know, they've beaten both Cardiff and Quinns away. They've scored nearly 100 points in those two games. They're fourth in the top 14. They're going well. They've always been a team that has sort of taking the European Cup seriously they're not going to necessarily send over the Espoirs for this and sort of go for it I no, think Toulouse are looking, no. looking for top seeds and guarantee the home sort of draw as much as possible the, the whole way through so I expect to see a, a full um, a pretty full Toulouse team come across for this I, I watched them play um, was it Toulon or, or someone relatively recently um, just again a massively physical game and you look at, at Toulouse, just how good they are, how they keep playing, the depth they have. Um, it's going to be a tough game for Ulster. Uh, like if they, they'd be doing very, very well uh, to to win that game, um, even even though it's at home. But it's going to be an absolute belter of a game. You just look at it and you just think that that's what the European Cup's about. Games like this. Yeah. So yeah, very, very like looking forward to watching that just as a as a neutral. Uh, Ulster have no new injuries reported for over their Christmas period, which is brilliant no for them. New injuries. No new injuries. Imagine having a report that says players, that players don't get in. They they didn't injure players. Players weren't injured. Yeah. 
Yeah. Ima- imagine printing out a report like that and it not being double sided. <laughs> or having to use the small fonts. Yeah, uh, James Hume, and good to see actually Ethan McElroy is back from that um, injury, the fatal injury he took against yes. Monster. Yeah, fair play. To he's him, back. Yeah. He's he's back uh, in full training and available for selection this week. That's good. I'm I'm going to go for Ulster at home here. I'm going to. Yeah, I, I I think that they can slug it out with Toulouse in a way that maybe not many other teams can do. I think this is going to be a game for Stephen Kitchoff where he kind of announces himself. For Ulster, not that he already, ha- you know, that he, that he hasn't already, but this is the game for a guy like him to be a real dog for them. Same, same with the yeah. viewers. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go with a, an Ulster win here. Yeah, I'm going to go on our Ulster win. The other one then that we'll talk before we finish up is around the Ireland squad, which will be uh, announced next week there's obviously some uh injuries coming through we've talked about hansen uh mchanson is out for the six nations jimmy o'brien is also out uh he sustained a neck injury and will be out for a couple of months ross Byrne is obviously injured for the start of this uh james low potentially back this week i think for for leinster um if we start maybe with with the wing spot then who do you think is going to go? Because I mean, like, if you take it, they've lost Hanson, Jimmy O'Brien, potentially Lowell may not be back, and you've got Keith Earls. So, like, there's what four of your your sort of your back three from the World Cup squad gone already. I think they'll bring Stockdale back in. Mm. Um, I think they'll bring Nash in. Yes, and then maybe maybe Larmore gets back in. He was in the Six Nations squad last year. Um but again there's no there's no like for like replacement for, for Hansen. So they don't have a guy who brings what he brings, which that sort of fly half on the wing style guy. Um so that's going to be difficult. Low will go straight in. I think Lowe will go in. Do you think if Low I think if Lowe is playing, I don't think you, you have Stockdale in the team. True. Yeah, no, I, I think that's they made they'll bring Stockdale in the group. But yeah. I think if for the first game, I think if Lowe's fit, he starts. Yeah, I think so as well. I think the other wing, it depends on what they want to do. As you say, I don't think they necessarily have a like for like. I think what they could do is if you're going to play for that finisher, then you know, you look at someone like Lermore or Nash, maybe. On on the other like, wing, someone like Balakun seems made, to fall out of favor. But. Yeah, like they've they've made it work in the system with Andrew Conway, and I think Calvin Nash and Andrew Conway are very similar. Conway was better in the air offensively, but I think Nash has shown like he's comfortable running inside lines. He's comfortable handling the ball. Not necessarily the best passer yet. That that might be um, might be held against him. I think, but. He's a dangerous finisher. He's ridiculously quick. He's dangerous on transition as well. I think he's a more rounded player, I think, than Jordan Larmore um, with regards to the quality of his kicking. Um, so we'll see. But I think it'll be low, Keenan, and then you're looking at whoever they want to go with on the other side. But I think Nash would be a decent shout, but you know they may go with, with, with Larmore as the cohesion pick. I do wonder if someone like Shane Daly may get called into the group to see I think he fits that role as sort of a he's a good playmaker facilitator 
that can that can play that role the way also, Ireland like their wing. He's a in. massive breakdown player now. His offensive breakdown is through the roof. Um, that's like recently Nash played at fullback for Munster, and Munster's fullback typically has a huge output at the breakdown. Shane Daly has basically done what Mike Haley does and his breakdown work is unbelievable. That might push him up the ranks at, at Ireland level as well because they love their their breakdown work rate um, as an inside winger. Um, I think Shane Daly gives you a lot of that. Yeah, I think they, they might bring him in, see see how he fits into the system overall and maybe you know, see him maybe towards the latter games in the, in the Six Nations if he, if he can prove it there. I think that, that mightn't be a bad shout. The other one then is what do Ireland do at 10? Obviously, we think Crowley is going to be number one yeah, off the rank. I mean, Ross Byrne, Ross Byrne isn't there. Who do you, who you, just, do you go? You just you go with like with Farrell tends to go with what he knows. So Crowley getting the nod on the bench for bigger games, even though he didn't didn't come off the bench against New Zealand. I think he seems to be the guy anyway that they like. Mm-hmm. That's a sort of character. He's got the sort of profile that they like. Um, I think Ross Byrne, if he's fully fit, maybe it's a tougher decision. Um, or if he's fit at all, um, it's a tougher decision. But I think they'll go with Crowley first up. And Frawley? Did they go with Frawley? I, I think Frawley's in the squad. I don't know whether he makes, whether he's the backup 10 to start. And then the question becomes, who's the third choice? Is it Harry Byrne? I mean, if you're if you're looking at who's playing well, it's probably JJ Hanneran, isn't it? But I doubt it. Form doesn't matter. We'll look, we know that. Yeah, it's like you either know the system or you don't. I don't think he will. I think they'll probably go with Harry Byrne. Just because he, yeah. he, he he's comfortable with what they do. Um and he's been do in they name, he's been in there. Do they name four fly halves? Or do you, do you name three and make Frawley a utility player? I think they go with three. I think they go Crowley, Frawley, and Byrne. Sounds like a legal firm. Um, <laughs> I think they I think they go with those guys. Um, Crowley being the main starter, Frawley off the bench. Um, and look to try to give, if they can, five games to Crowley this year in the Six Nations. Because this is a new era. In the last couple of yeah. years, it's always been, well, Johnny will be back soon, won't he? You, you, you might get a start against Italy if you're lucky, lads. That's it. And it's like, <laughs> they have they have to bed somebody new in now. And like, this is uncharted territory. Like, Because typically, there's been a big overlap when these big handovers yeah. have happened. Like, O'Gara and Humphreys tangled together for, what was it, two years? They overlapped yeah. for that amount of time. Then you had O'Gara and Sexton were overlapping for three years. That's that's not happening this time. There's nobody like Crowley. There's, didn't there's guess, no fallback. Didn't overlap. Yeah. No, like it's like it was Johnny's team. Johnny's gone back to his home planet now. So Crowley's in now, and you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. You have to go all in on that now. You can't be 50-50. Yeah. 
No. And I, I think that, to me, that's why I, I see them sticking with, like you, I see them sticking with Crowley at this. I think Frawley probably is in there because Farrell likes him. He knows the system. He, he plays yeah, that. Plus, like they have to stick with Crowley even through the rough games he's, he is going to have. Like, yes. Go back go back and watch the early games of Johnny Sexton. That test of it. They're ropey. Yeah. <laughs> They're fucking ropey. There were games where he was like, he couldn't kick Snow for up for a while there. And it's like, you have to you have to stick with him. That's going to be the difficult thing because it's inevitable that Crowley is going to have a bad game between now and the end of the Six Nations. He's going to make a mistake. They have to stick with him. If he's their guy, they have to stick with him because when you start chopping and changing your 10, that seems like a good idea on paper. But fucking ask Australia about how well that works. <laughs> so That's it. The other, well, there's a couple of other questions. There's two. This will be the second last one I think we'll go with. the We talked a bit about it earlier on with the Leinster style, where you have Will Connors and Ryan Baird showing up so well. And you can see the changes that uh, Neen Arbor uh, is bringing in, and it's affecting selection. What sort of an impact is that going to have on Ireland? Because you have the different requirements. So for Ireland... You have the likes of Doris, you had Omani, you have uh, Van der Fleer, and even Conan. They were your four key key players there um, in the back row. And you had them doing very specific things. So and they were but they were all capable of doing them. You look at how much Caelan Doris could move around each of the three positions. You looked at what Van der Fleer brought. If the likes of Will Connors starts to step up at seven and just eat into some of Josh van der Fleer's time. Does that put a preference or an impact onto the Ireland team where they're going to be required to do different things because of different setups in terms of defensive systems and even attack to a degree? Yeah, like I've, I've yet to see. I mean, obviously, I think Will Connors, prior to his last injury, he showed a fairly impactful ball carrying game. Didn't he get another knee injury? I think it was. Mm. Missed a lot of time. His defense has always been really good. I will say that if Peter Romani is, as rumored, um, leaving Ireland or retiring or whatever at the end of this season, then he shouldn't be in the Six Nations squad. That well, I suppose that's that's the other big one is that like you come to captain, do you take? Yeah, I mean, I think the the candidates at the moment that they're that have been sort of pushed around on the media are Omani, Caelan Doris seems to be coming to the forefront of these, mm. and then I think you've probably got the two Leinster co-captains, James Ryan and Gary Ringrose. Such bullshit. I, don't care. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I think they'll go with. <laughs> I think they'll go, especially when the, the referee sent James Ryan packing after what <laughs> five minutes of two games in a row. I think they'll go with Ringrose. I, I probably is the best choice for captain for me. I I was thinking the same thing purely on the basis that I think if Omani is leaving as as is rumored um, or finishing up, doesn't make sense to have him. Kalen Doris, while may make some sense overall in terms of his place is guaranteed, he's had one match, you know, as as Leinster captain. Maybe he is a big influence behind the scenes that we don't see, but I haven't necessarily seen it on the pitch or with Leinster yet. Um, 
in terms of a captaincy role or a leadership role in you know even the interactions with the referees i haven't seen that from him um i think if you're looking at the two sort of the co-captain role yeah the whole sort of thing with james ryan it's been talked about that he's been that leader for a long time within Ezra. The referees and the way he has approached them this season would sort of give you some concern there, I think. It would, it, it, they... it, it, it would give me a bit of pause. Like, I think that Gary Ringrose has done really well when he's actually been the guy speaking to... Because there's going to be... Look, they're going to have lots of leaders in that group. Porter, Furlong, Ryan, Doris, you know, all these guys. Like, these are all leaders. Captain is your figurehead, I suppose, the guy who speaks to the referee. I think Ringrose has a good way about him with speaking to the referee. Yeah. So I'd be looking at that and going, do you know what? That's not a bad shout for him to be captain. I don't think there's any other massive standout candidates. You could say, look, James Ryan, it's something he's been spoken about for a while. I genuinely think his game is better when he doesn't have to focus on that stuff, to be honest. Um, I, so I'd I go with he, Ringrose just for that. I, I think you're right. I think you, what you do is you split it into, you have a leadership team who can guide the team, make the decisions. But what you have is a sort of a named referee manager. And he's he's the guy who will just manage the ref. He'll he'll do the talking, he'll do the questioning, he'll do it in a way that it becomes very palatable for the referee to be able to interact. Because if you've got someone who, who can't manage that or has difficulty in managing that, that can turn because of the way rugby is that can turn the game against you very quickly. So you need oh. to have the right guy there making Johnny sure Sexton it's done. was able to get away with the way he spoke to referees or was re- re- referees because he was Johnny Sexton. Yeah. You know, like a living legend of the game. Um, for any of the guys who were coming after him, bar maybe O'Mani will say, but I, 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 I don't see it being him. You kind of have to play ball with these guys. And I think that ring rolls from what I've seen has a, has a good way about him. And um, is well, well respected as well. Like I think that's a. Uh, yeah. I think if if you see Gary Ringrose named captain, I'd be like, yeah, easily believe that. Good because very 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 good player, obviously as well. Um. Okay. And lastly, do you see any bolters coming in for the? Um. I could see them bringing Tom Ahern in. Yeah, I think he's got the size and athleticism that they like. Um, I think they will. They look at Kyle Ford as a guy they could bring in. Maybe Jamie Osborne. I think could be there. Is he fit? Yeah. I, um. He didn't he play against? Wasn't it Osborne played against Ulster? So I think I presume. Yeah. I'm presuming he's he's fit. I think. I think that. he'd been as a development player. Oliver Yeager. Yeah. He was the guy Yeager. I was going to say. I. He might be brought in, but I mean, like, they do have an awful lot of tight heads there. True. I mean, it depends on, like, he's being brought in and for a reason, I suppose. He's played really mm-hmm. well as well. So they'll maybe want to come get him in to get a look at him. Um, I think he, 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 he'll come like, in as a, yeah, I think he'll come in as not necessarily someone who will feature in a lot of the matches, but he'll be brought in to customize himself with the systems and the high performance unit and that sort of stuff. And like, you could see him, like, I mean, depending on how he goes in, in training up there, he's a guy who I think could easily end up getting on the bench for, you know, maybe a game against Wales or Scotland or whatever. Um, yeah, because he's got the size and power they like. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't, see them, I don't see massive changes and massive numbers of guys being brought in. Like, maybe they look at John Hodness. I could see a guy like Gavin Coombs dropping back, maybe, um, depending on what they, what they, 
what they want from their their back row. I think his overall game has really rounded out. He's not doing as much big ball carrying as what he was doing before. He's playing a lot more like CJ Sander now when you look at what he brings to a game. But we'll Late, later later CJ Sander. Later <laughs> CJ. Um with a lot of carrying off nine, a lot of breakdown work, a lot of tackling, a lot of defensive breakdown work. Um we'll see if if that's something that Farrell wants. But yeah, I could see a Hearn, maybe Hodnett. Um maybe they look at one or two others as well. Casey will stay in there. Um Nash maybe. That Ulster. I think Dave McCann could have been in with a shout if he hadn't been injured. If he hadn't been injured, yeah. I think he could have been in with a shout. Um James Hume, depending on what they want. They could have a look, they could have another look at him. Um I I do, there's a lot of talk that you know it's after the World Cup, it's after Sexton, we'll see a lot of change. That's not the way uh, the IRF do business. They they keep it consistent. Yes. There's not going to be a huge plan for four years' time. It's about win now, and it always has been with the IRFU. Yeah, There'll be some changes due to injury, but not much. I don't I think, think we I think we might see a bit more experimentation in twenty twenty five, but not this year. I don't yeah. see it. I don't see it. I think they might because again, I think they'll sniff a Grand Slam this year. France without first, DuPont. First, first game of France away. Win, yeah, win that. Win that and you're, you know, you've got some tough games to come because it's an away sequence, but, you know, playing England the way as well, who I think will actually be dangerous enough this year. Um, mm. But they'll want to win a Grand Slam. Like, I think if Ireland were to pick up one or two losses in this Six Nations on top of the exit from the Six Nations or from the World Cup, pressure comes on pretty quickly yeah they have to keep showing the road so I don't think you'll see many changes here I think you'll see one or two guys coming into wider squads and into the training group but it'll be mostly the team that that played the World Cup I would say bar one or two injury dropouts and guys coming in but yeah how they replace Sexton how that's going to go is going to be really interesting because we're in uncharted territory we've never done it like this since we were fucking wooden spoon collectors back in the 90s (laughs) This is the first when, time when, when they changed half the team every week on yes. a, a six na- like, a five nations game. <laughs> like the other half of emigrated. Like you know, you look at the like the way that we've always done it is so different. So that's going to be unique. That there's no veteran on the bench that they can pan the camera to. Like maybe they maybe yeah. they'll find Johnny Sexton if he's watching at home and go outside his window to pan to him. <laughs> but like this is new. <laughs> this is new ground. Like so, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be. Very, very interesting one way or the other. Okay, we'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, as it really helps. And also be sure to share the podcast on social media. Um, if you do want to, please follow us on social media. It's at Three Red Kings for Tom, at Over the Hill Prop for myself, and at The Loose H for Jeff. Hope you have a good week, and the three of us will be back next week to chat again. Bye.